everyone, and welcome to the Riffing on Realness podcast. I'm Carla Royal, a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving entrepreneurs, and with me is Juliette Fay, a poet and three principles facilitator. If you are wrestling with how to be real in the midst of rampant superficiality, and it's causing you to overthink, be too guarded, and not live your potential, then you're in the right place. In this podcast, Juliet and I explore how dropping the masks, being real and vulnerable, can help us connect, adapt, and find a richness of experience amid the chaos. We're glad you're here, and we invite you to tune in, slow down, and listen for your own wisdom. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, Carla. So in our last episode, we were talking about simplicity, and it seems like, um, remind me, Juliet, was more on, on in an emotional sort of way, wasn't it? We were, we, we, yes. Yeah. And, and we realized it's a huge subject, and we wanted to circle back around and, <clears throat> and continue our discussion on simplicity and, and move into a discussion that many people associate with simplicity, which is about material things. Uh, and talk some about that. I came across this uh, meme or this this quote on Facebook <clears throat> that said this. I think it was uh, uh, Nathalia Robin Justice wrote this. And she said, if a monkey hoarded more bananas than it could eat while most of the other monkeys starved, Scientists would study that monkey to figure out what the heck was wrong with it. When humans do it, we put them on the cover of Forbes. And that really, that really struck me because, you know, a question that I have or that I run up against in my work with entrepreneurs, highly successful entrepreneurs who really are making a lot of money, what is enough? When is it enough? How do you know when you have enough? Um, you know, why do we need billions of billions of dollars? And I know that this discussion that you and I are going to have, Juliet, could feel political in some ways. And I, I really want to invite ourselves, you and I, and our listeners to, to be a little more curious than just plugging this into a political view of some sort, uh, because it can get a little uh, tender or a little... Um, whatever. But what, what we do in these podcasts is we get curious because we know that when we live inside of a worldview or a paradigm, um, our own personal worldviews, cultural worldviews, that it's, that it can be very, very limiting for curiosity and seeing something new. And so one of the things that I love about you, Juliet, is you're always talking about curiosity and getting curious and, and being really, really curious. And, and I love that about you. And it's something that, that I want to do more expansively in my own life. So I wanted to have this discussion. We wanted to have this discussion about simplicity and that idea you know, why do we put these people on Forbes who are hoarding massive amounts of money that they could never possibly spend in their lifetimes or multiple lifetimes? It's, it's, it's an interesting question. Where I see it with my clients is my clients, my young entrepreneurial clients who are being very successful, you know, they tell me that they feel pressure to 
to wear certain things, to live in certain places, to have certain cars or watches. And they say that they feel an excitement about the possibility of doing some of that. They feel an urge to do some of that. They also feel some uh, 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 incongruency. They also feel some concern. They also feel that it doesn't feel exactly right to them, but the pull is so strong that they often don't know how to sort of counteract it or, 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 or resist it. And that it causes some of them some real angst. So I thought it would be really interesting to discuss that. The other thing I, I said to you on the phone uh, before we hit record, Julia, was just that, you know, I've lived large and I've lived small and my preference is small. I like a small space and I like an uncluttered space. I don't like to have a whole lot of things all around, you know, Chotsky, not interested in it. And what I know is, you know, I can clean my house in under two hours all by myself and do a really good job. There's something about that that just feels good to me. You know, not, I remember years ago when I had a bunch of stuff and I had a storage place and, and it, it was just so much clutter. And this was probably 20, 20 years ago. It was after my breakdown breakthrough and something shifted within me at that time. And I was getting ready to move and I sold or got rid of three quarters of my stuff. And it, you know, it was, it was challenging, but man, after the fact, I felt so much relief, Juliet, and mm-hmm. I've never gone back to that kind of, you know, just stuff everywhere and more and more and more and more stuff. And it has felt really, really freeing to me. So I just went on and on. So I want to give you a chance to jump in and, and let's have this ex- exploration. Yeah, it's um, it's a great topic, isn't it? And um, I... I'm what I'm curious about is that how all of us um, get kind of caught in a in a sort of misunderstanding that our security or our happiness is rests in having certain things. And I love when you you mentioned that your clients sense an incongruity about it. So it can be really exciting to get your first really nice car or move into a place you know you've always wanted to live but you couldn't afford before so we're not in this discussion as you said at the beginning it's not really a political discussion and neither is it saying that this way of living is better than that way of living but it's more about when you feel that sort of incongruity for yourself I mean a, a really good example of that might be that you've worked really really hard And either you've saved or you've won some really big contracts in order to afford something. You had something in mind. And, you know, most of us will know that arc we can go through. You know, for someone, it might be a a car, someone, it might be a mansion. It doesn't matter what the thing is. But you can desire this thing and you can, you know, sort of imagine it and even lust after it. And then you you do all this work and then when you finally you can afford it it's a great feeling of yes I did it satisfaction and in those first 
where it might be days, weeks or months of being, having that thing, whatever it is, you know, that feeling of satisfaction keeps bubbling up. It's like, oh, yes, look at me. (laughs) But then isn't it interesting that before long, we either just get used to having that item, we might still get pleasure out of it now and again, but before too long, there'll be something else that's kind of glittering off their upper head that we can't yet have that we want. And and we just sort of go back through that cycle again. And what I'm really curious about, and I think what start where the incongruity comes from is that, you know, deep down, we know that well-being and security doesn't reside in stuff. But it can feel like it does. And so what you touched on with your clients, I mean, I can remember when I first started doing my consultancy uh, work, I was driving a really beat up old car. And I had the idea that I shouldn't be showing up to client meetings in this beat up old car because it didn't give the right impression. And in time, I got myself a new car and I did definitely feel like this is more like it. You know, this is more congruent. But there was another part of me, like your clients, who thought, you know, this is, it's just made up that, you know, that my ability to do my work is tied to the kind of car I drive. But it's quite a compelling story. You know, well, if you're successful, you'd be driving a better car. And we we sort of go along with it. But I love that, that little niggle underneath that goes, this isn't really true. We all kind of agree to it and we go, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but but I think the problem comes when we misunderstand where where well-being and security and happiness comes from. Because if you deeply know that they come from within you and that all day long, all through your life, you're going to have high moods and low moods, no matter what car you drive, no matter what house you live in, then there's a freedom around stuff. It doesn't have so much weight and so much meaning. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you might still want to drive a really nice car, but you're not tying, where you often talk about this, you're not identifying the car as meaning anything other than what it is, a, a high-performance car that you can have fun in mm-hmm. and you can take your friends out in or your loved ones out or whatever, That's all it is. And when you really get down to it, it's just pieces of metal put together and sprayed with fancy electronics. And it's only us that looks at one car and says, wow, that's really something. And we look at a beat up old car and go, oh, that's rubbish. I mean, there's still bits of metal with more or less fancy electronics. And so it's not to diminish the joy and fun you can have with nice stuff. It's more about what meaning are you putting on that stuff or what meaning are you thinking other people are putting on it and it's bothering you you know I have to go along with that because they'll think whatever about me if I have this car versus that car so yeah it's a really curious place and there's a place it's a place where there is a potential for so much more freedom to be doing and and getting things and I love that word that are congruent with who you are and who and how you want to express in the world because if you don't care what other people think 
and you drive what you want to drive or you save up to or you know you you win contracts to afford the car you want to drive but it doesn't have that great weight on it you know yes and that's what I find with my entrepreneurial clients is that they they often come in so scared they're going to lose everything because they have tied their identity to how much money they make or how successful they are in their business, and and it and it works against them every single time. It 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 places undue burden and overwhelm. I also think of another client of mine who's who's very self aware, doing very well in the entrepreneurial world, and he told me that he. Uh, a couple of years ago, wanted this extraordinarily expensive watch. I, mean, I can't even fathom it, really. And he just decided he was going to get this watch. He should have this watch because the people he respected and looked up to had this watch. And so he went and bought this watch. And he said that as he was literally walking out the store, he was like, this is crazy, man. This doesn't do anything for me. This doesn't make me feel any better. This doesn't make me feel any more successful or like I belong more. And he really got it in that moment. He was feeling that that incongruency within himself. He was he was really feeling him. I think that many people might feel that and they ignore it. My client didn't ignore it. You know, bravo. I'm I'm so proud of him that he didn't ignore it. On the other hand, he really wanted an expensive car that he'd been wanting for a very long time. And he got the car and he loved the car and he's enjoying the, the hell out of the car now. You yeah. know, so again, it's not about right or wrong. It's about understanding, as you're saying so clearly, that that these possessions, this material stuff says it says nothing about who we are fundamentally at our essence. And when we get those two confused, we suffer. The other mm-hmm. thing I think about is how we come by this really innocently. From the moment we're born, we're inundated with messages all around us that to be happy, you need to have this, that, or the other thing, or look like this, or be like this. So we get these messages that point us in every direction, but within ourselves, that our happiness exists out there. And you and I know that that's not true. At least we know it some of the time. We forget, at least I forget too. And I think about the the tribal people that I've heard, I heard a story years ago, you maybe have heard it too, that there were these tribal people happily existing, happily, you know, doing their tribal things. And then the Sears catalog was introduced to this tribe. And there were things in this in this catalog that had they had never even considered. They'd never thought about, you know, maybe I can't I don't know what was in it. It was it was many, many decades ago, but maybe maybe an oven, you know, maybe, um, you know, I don't know what what at that time. And all of a sudden, just just seeing these things and knowing they were out there and and them being pressed upon them, they started to desire these things. And what happened, if I recall the, the story correctly, is that it kind of had a really negative effect on this tribe. Like it kind of broke it, broke down this, this tribe and their sense of belonging because they started longing for something outside of themselves and, and what had worked for, for them for centuries. You know, all of a sudden it was, they thought they had a problem that they didn't have before that Sears catalog came along. And I just think that's such an interesting story 
Yeah, it is, isn't it? And and that like you say, you said it sort of all the marketing that you know we're marketed to from when we're as soon as we can read, really, aren't we? And and I loved what you said. It it takes us away from what's available inside. And I've actually had a, had an experience in a way a little bit like that. I lived in Papua New Guinea in the 1990s. And it was before online shopping. And I was living in the capital in Port Moresby for a couple of years. And there were grocery shops and you could buy car parts. Uh, and there were other sort of service type of businesses. But there was no um, shopping centre, as we would call it. There were no bookshops. There were no clothes shops. You could get a few clothes in the market. And what was remarkable is you couldn't order anything. There was nothing to order. There was, to say, the internet had just begun. So we had email, but we didn't have any online stores. And it was really interesting what happened. Very quickly, we didn't miss having those shops. And the other thing that happened, I mean, I love books. So uh, people who were um, living there for a shorter period of time, you would come with as many books as you could bring. And then when you'd read them, you would pass them on and other people would pass on, give you their books. And I'm going a little bit off topic, but what was really interesting was I was in my twenties and I had quite fixed ideas about what kind of books I liked to read. When I was back in the UK, I could go in a bookshop or a library and choose the books I wanted to read. Mm -hmm. But suddenly I didn't have that availability and I read anything I could get my hands on. And it broadened and opened up my reading um, range enormously because I didn't like science fiction. There were various other things I wouldn't have read. And I read all sorts of completely random books. Mm. And... It's very interesting because in a way it it can look like it's the availability of so much stuff that distracts us, but it's, it's not the availability. It's our perception of that stuff. And you touched on that in your, your introduction and we see it around business, as I said, with my story of my car. When we start to, um, look at stuff through these filters of our own thinking and it can go both ways you know you can look at somebody's clothing and if you know about designer labels you can notice that they've got a designer handbag and then we we judge that person maybe we judge them to be really cool and better than us or maybe we judge them to be oh you know they're they're rich and we don't like them (laughs) And the same goes the other way. You can look at somebody wearing shoes that are broken. And when you get down to it, it's a pair of shoes that where the stitching's come undone or the soles come apart, full stop. Everything after that is just our perceptions. So we look at that and we say, oh, that person's poor or that person's homeless or that person's whatever it is. And then we have a whole lot of other stories and perceptions about that. And they might be negative and they might be positive. But you can see how, yes, there's a huge amount of stuff, probably more, well, definitely more than the planet can support the production of. That much is becoming very clear. But in and of itself, 
it doesn't make us um we relate to that stuff through our own stories and thinking and conditioning and perceptions and that's what causes a lot of the angst around stuff Mm -hmm. if you yeah many people who've had small children you know you discover quite early on around um holiday times that little very little children often get more fun out of the packaging or the papers that or the box that something came in than the actual toy because they haven't yet got stories about this is the latest toy from the store i should be really excited about this right they're still exploring the world in terms of with more immediacy of texture color sound all that kind of thing and to me that's we haven't um it's not that adults can't do that it's just that we go through our life and we take on a lot of thinking that turns into beliefs and we we get a bit stuck on them mm-hmm. but the incongruity i just so love that you brought that up you know that's the little bell that's the little signal mm-hmm. you know am i am i listening to a whole bunch of stories about this some of which probably don't even belong to me they come from my culture or the media or wherever you know and that little bell is saying you know what do you underneath all that or before all that what's your feeling about this this item Mm -hmm. yeah be fun I'll go for it or no you know I want it to shore up my image and and I know it's not going to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think about makeup I know this seems like a little rabbit hole, but the rabbit trail, but, but, you know, I wore foundation and lipstick and blush and, and, and eyeshadow and mascara every day for many, many years. And at some point, I guess in the last 10 years, I can't even remember how it happened. I just started doing that less and less and less to where I never, wear any makeup now except for lipstick because you know a little color on your lips is (laughs) (laughs) it and and that's the way it's been for years now I think I got so tired of deciding that my worth or my value or my standing had anything to do with what I put on my face and the amount of time it took and the money that it took it just and I don't even think that I thought about all this all that consciously so much as I just didn't want to do it and and so I stopped doing it and so I show up at weddings or celebrations or online with my client with nothing but lipstick on and nobody's rejected me yet (laughs) at least not to my face but it's but I I I often um especially in the community I lived in before I moved down here it was a very rich and posh community and I remember walking around that community with no makeup on and watching these magazine these women that looked like they could be on a magazine cover walking out their doors fully quaffed fully made up and they were beautiful no doubt but I just felt like I can remember often feeling really feeling for them because because I know that many of them, and not all of them, of course, many of them felt like they had to do that, that they could not walk out their door without that. I used to feel that way to some extent. And the burden 
of that. The burden of having to, to, to look, and women, you know, get it in spades from our culture that you have to look a certain way. You have to smile all the time. I mean, I just very recently in the last couple of months, I got, I think you saw it, you know, I, I was recording these videos every day, just little three to five minute videos. And then um, a friend, of, an old friend of mine, a man, you know, uh, Facebooked me and said, commented and said, you, you, you have such a beautiful smile, you should smile more. It would help you to smile more. And I'm like, you know, I don't have to smile any more than I do. <laughs> I really don't. I don't have to do that for you. And it gets so complicated to have to juggle all of that. Okay, I got to smile all the time. I've got to present myself in this way. I've got to look this way. I've got to buy that watch or this car or this home. I've got to live in these, um, you know, high-end uh, um, apartments that I really can't afford or I can afford, but now I'm going to have to work my butt off for the next 10 years to pay for it. And it becomes mm -hmm. overwhelming, this burden, this pressure to conform. And I think that what we really want is not conformity, but we want to belong. And we think that, that if we do this, that, and the other thing, then, then we'll be accepted. Then we'll belong. The bottom line is we want to belong. And you were talking about before we hit record, Juliet, I want to circle back around to that about how our possessions can sometimes create a real barrier. So I'd love for you to, mm -hmm. to say some of what you were saying uh, when we first hopped on before we hit record, because I think it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that thing about makeup that I just want to come in before I talk about the barrier is um, I think what's so fun to start to realize is that it's not really about whether you wear makeup or not and I'm, I'm in the same camp as you but have been most of my life I never got the hang of makeup when I, when I was a teenager so after some fairly horrific attempts I just sort of abandoned it <laughs> <laughs> but I I do love the what I see in in younger people I follow um quite a few uh sort of I follow a thing on Instagram called the feminist lead. I think it's called, it's a great thread. Um, if you, if you're interested and what I'm seeing again is that when you're, as you were saying, you felt you had to wear makeup and it's a, it's, you feel it's a demand from society or that you will be disadvantaged if you're not presenting in a particular way. And you can just feel that whole energy behind that is is just heavy and, and not very nice whereas I love it when um you know you see people who they they love makeup they wear makeup they enjoy makeup they're not afraid to not wear it but they're doing it for, out of choice an expression an artistic yes. expression which I enjoy that too Exactly. And and so I really want to emphasize that, you know, we're not talking about living a, a sort of being a hermit. Well, no. many of us are doing that anyway. <laughs> right now we are. <laughs> and, and makeup might be a distant memory for many people. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's it's again, it comes back to when we realize it's so easy to get into this idea that, you know, I'll be happy when. You know, I'll be happy when my hair looks a certain way, when when 
I've learned, got better at doing my makeup. And, and it's so good to just pause and realize, do you know what? You, your moods go up and down all day long and they have done all through your life and they will continue to go up and down all through your life, whatever you're doing, whatever you're wearing, whatever you're driving. And that's where the freedom is because then it's more playful. Then if you love to, if you want to cover your whole body with tattoos because your body feels like a canvas to you, then go and have loads of fun doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to uh, cut all your hair off and and wear enormous earrings because that looks, you know, dramatic and fantastic to you, then great, do that. And And I really just wanted to point to that because... Sometimes, in, in especially in the sort of environmental movement, and I, I'm quite interested in reducing waste and less plastic. And again, it can come from a very heavy energy where it means something about me, how much plastic I use. It means something about me, how hard I'm working to reduce my waste. And then, and then I can get into this whole feeling of I can look down on the people who aren't doing as much and I can aspire to the people who are doing more. And it's got a slightly, you know, crunchy, not very kind of, um, <laughs> it's not a very lighthearted space to get into. And what I found over the last couple of years is things like that come into my awareness. Like a lot of people, I had no clue about plastic. I mean, my house was full of it. Um, but as it's come into my awareness, it's it, it's just I've noticed things. And then it's it's been quite fun to go and see if there's a replacement that doesn't have plastic when I get to the end of that, whatever it is, shampoo bottle, or if I could refill it. But it doesn't have that... It's no longer saying anything about me, Mm. whether I refill my shampoo bottle or buy a new plastic one or use a shampoo bar. Those are just things I might do. They don't mean anything about me. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's at the core of, of so much of our striving, because you pointed at the fact that people with a lot of money maybe no happier than people with an, a, a medium amount of money because in both the people with a lot of money might be worrying about losing it, worry, spending a lot of time and energy looking after all the things they've bought, mm-hmm. maintaining it, keeping up with things. And so the feeling of, of how we live, that's what really matters. That's what, di- that's what gives us our experience. And when we start to see that, um, the stuff, yeah, just becomes more playful, which I, which I love. But I'll let you come in, and then, but I will circle around to the the point you were saying about the barriers, because yes. But is there anything you want to come in with? Well, uh, one of the things that that occurred to me because I I love where you went with that, like the fact that you became really conscious of your plastic use. There was a time, at least I think this is what you were saying, that you felt like you were the right one and the people around you were the wrong ones. And now I hear you saying that now it's like, no, I'm not going to put that kind of meaning. It doesn't say anything about who I am or the kind of person that I am. And I think that's really interesting because I know that, you know, (laughs) I think I have had this idea that to to have a lot of money, it would be wrong somehow. And, uh, and, and of course, we're not saying that either, you know, we're not saying that either, but I have, I have struggled within myself with that, that to have, to have a lot of money would be 
would make me a bad person, would be wrong. And you're not saying that. And I think that part of what you're saying is we are just complex, multidimensional beings who, you know, like you said, we have all these ups and downs and highs and lows and all throughout our lives, all throughout our days. You know, we make this wrong and we make that right. And it's all based on, you know, the constructs that we've created to, I think, try to, you know, I don't know, get along. But I, I'm thinking of a book called Grace and Grit by Ken Wilber. Ken Wilber is an American philosopher. Um, and he some of his teachings I really, really love. Although like any of the teachings out there, they're a group of people who take it and turn it into some dogma, which I'm not interested in because I come from, from that, from dogma, from a dogmatic religion. So I'm always wary of that. But he is this really kind of a spiritual guru in, in, in this particular world. And he, uh, many years ago, was losing his wife, his beloved wife that he had just married to cancer. And he writes his story in this Grace and Grit, which I think was going to be turned into a movie. We might look it up. And here he was, he was this, this amazing, you know, multi-year-long meditator. They had done um, uh, research on his brain because he had meditated so much. And, and he was this spiritual guru, spiritual leader and author and philosopher. And when he was going through this with his wife dying, he, he just kind of, he went to the depths and he kind of busted out. And he started, uh, he went through a period of time where he was drinking heavily and, and he got angry in ways that he never had before. And he had to do a real reckoning with himself because he didn't think that's who he was. Mm -hmm. And he d discovered that, oh yes, this is who I am too. I am not just this and not that, I'm all of this. I am a complex human being who has all kinds of feelings and emotions and impulses and urges and longings and, and, and things I don't like and things I do like and things I think I shouldn't like. And so I, 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 I and it's like, yes, we have this idea about how we're supposed to be for the world in order to be accepted, in order to belong. And it gets so complicated because we have to always put that face forward with our possessions, with our looks, with our clothes, with where we live or whatever, or what we even say, the language that we use even, and how complicated it all gets to juggle all that. When we could just simplify and just be real human beings in all of our messiness and glory, the, the, divine and and the 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 mundane and all of that so i kind of went off on a little <laughs> tangent there juliet yeah but but i love because our title is simplicity again and and what you're pointing to is it looks more and more to me that it is very simple you know we we're having an experience you and i are having an experience right now and 
And that's all we've got. You know, the experience that you're having right now is all we have. And at that level, it's very, very simple. And some of those experiences feel lousy and some of them feel great. But you talked about complexity. All the complexity, it looks to me, just comes from these sort of layers and layers, like you're saying, of thought and belief and perception and conditioning. And most of the time we meet the world looking through all of that. And the more complex that is, then the more complex life looks. And is that barrier yeah. between you and me yeah. that you were talking about earlier that, you know, as I have to uphold all these images of myself, they are now in the way of you and me relating really, really vulnerably and authentically. So say more about that, because you did talk about that before we hit record. Yeah, so I think you can sort of see it in a, in a, a reflection in the material world. So sometimes there's the sort of super rich. One of the things you notice that happens is that what, what they use their wealth to do is to remove themselves from everyday life. And by that, I mean, they might live behind um, security gates and, Funnily enough, I've lived behind security gates when I was in Papua New Guinea. I have too. <laughs> and I know what that feels like to have, you know, I had an automatic thing to open the gate as I drove up. Uh, and it's a very obvious physical barrier between you and your neighbourhood. And people will um, fly, you know, first class or in a private jet and we culturally get back to your quote right at the beginning about going on the top of Forbes magazine. I guess the cultural view in the West is, wow, haven't they done well? Look at them. They've, they can afford a private jet and, and little you know, parts of us think, oh, wouldn't that be nice not to have to queue up at, and check my bags and <laughs> not to have to eat the air, airline food or whatever it is. But it's very interesting to me. And, and I've wondered about people who, who are, living in a you know grand places cut off from from the outside world how in putting up those barriers to keep yourself away from the sort of effort of mixing with everyday people if we could put it like that you you sort of think you're giving yourself a better experience you know more time more space nicer fittings cleaner whatever you ideas you've got in your head about it and all the prestige and status when people see me getting out of my <laughs> private jet whatever but what are you actually doing you're actually sort of re removing yourself not just from the cramped seats in economy class not just from the cues or whatever else is involved in more everyday life you're removing yourself from human contact and it's it's a funny point to bring up at the moment because many of us are are in a situation where we've been asked to remove ourselves from social contact and many many people are finding that far more difficult than not being able to go shopping mm -hmm. and so it makes us curious I think about why would a bit like your, your monkey craze is brilliant why would moving yourself into a lifestyle where you keep the rest of the world at arm's length be celebrated mm -hmm. when you really get down to it 
it is not going to give you an experience of happiness, joy, well-being. Might give you a buzz, might give you, you know, some satisfaction now and again. But I don't know anybody, any human anywhere who consistently lives in a feeling of contentment. As we said, we all, our minds fluctuate. So we, we go up and down. And that's as true for the very wealthy as it is for people with very little. Mm -hmm. But more than that, we, I know you can't really point at one population and say that there are particular mental distress, but it is noticeable that many celebrities who suddenly find fame and fortune become very wealthy end up in rehab clinics. Mm -hmm. So it's very clear that all the material trappings don't automatically provide peace, security and well-being. And I, and I often think it'd be really interesting, and I'm sure people have done it, you know, to get very wealthy people and people with nothing together to share their hopes and fears because they might look different on the surface. But the truth is we all have periods of feeling just insecure. I mean, that can cover anything, whatever it's about, our health, our, our bills, our education, our job, our relationships. And in those moments when we feel like insecure, the world looks frightening and hostile and difficult and complex mm -hmm. when we feel uh, more expansive more at peace with the world it's like we open our whole selves open and you can see it in body language if you see somebody sitting on a train who's very um just kind of in their head and and, and a bit stressed their whole body language kind of says keep away from me <laughs> just keep away from me and you'll see somebody else on a train who is relaxed and comfortable, maybe looking out the window. And they don't have that big, you know, get away sign. And it's just pointing to the fact that when you get curious what's, what's available inside, you start to get an inkling. Oh, wow, the kind of richness of experience available inside is in a completely different league from the joy of a fancy meal or driving a, a, an amazing car because it's not dependent on anything outside. Mm -hmm. And it's not that whizzy, buzzy adrenaline joy. It, it's more of a, um, I don't know. It's deep that really rich. deep feeling of, yeah, everything, that, that this world is remarkable and being alive is remarkable. And I, I don't feel that all the time, obviously. But when I do, that just keeps getting deeper and richer. And that to me now is more appealing. I, 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 it's like once you get a taste of that, it changes your relationship. It's not that you go away and live like a hermit. It's that you can enjoy anything because you're not measuring how enjoyable should this be you know this is a really fast car so this has got to be off the scale exciting whereas if you're five and learning to ride a bicycle that's probably the most exciting thing you've ever seen the bicycle mm -hmm. and what what's different it's not that they're five it's that they don't have a whole pile of thinking that it's mm -hmm. not good enough or big enough or fast enough Yes, and we are coming around to our time with this juicy uh, topic, but I think that what we want to point to is that we're not 
saying that having stuff or wanting stuff or or getting expensive stuff or living bigger is is bad. We're not saying that. We're saying that 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 happiness, that sense of well-being, joy and love and peace and ease and flow and all of that stuff can't be found out there. Mm. And that can be tricky because we have a whole culture telling us from the time we're born that it can be found out there. And I think that that accounts for so much of our, much of our suffering. And we want to point people, whether you have very little or whether you have way more than you, than you could possibly use that what you seek does not exist outside of you. It's within you. Mm-hmm. And when you can quiet yourself down a bit, you can, you can often access it. It's sort of like, you know, my client who desperately wanted that watch and on his way out of the store, he, he heard himself deeper going, this is not it, man. This is not yeah. what you thought it was going to be, man. I love that story. I really do. And I just wanted to end. I heard someone define success the other day, and I love this definition. Success is being happy with who you are, what you have, and what you do. Mm. And how I heard it is not, I think some people think that that means you wouldn't strive to do anything else. You know, you just sit back. But what I heard was, that's the foundation. Mm -hmm. If you, because happiness is very ephemeral and and when you start right where you are, you open the possibility that other ideas, actions can come in and there's more space. So it's like you start to move towards, oh, I'd like to do that or I want to create this project or I want to, I'd like to move to a house by a river or and you can just feel it doesn't have that kind of, you know, I got to get this. And then once you've got it, it's also everything changes, everything, you know, comes and goes. We know that we do as humans, but so do all our possessions. Nothing's guaranteed. Nothing lasts forever. And so it's almost, it makes me think of, um, you know, I was in farming and we always knew we didn't own the land. We're guardians of the land. And in that same way, when we start to relate to the things around us, that we get to enjoy them while they're in our orbit. And they might, you know, one day might be living high life because you're doing really well financially. And then your fortunes might take a turn and you might live a different life. But the happiness available is the same in both situations. I love that. It makes me think of something I tell my clients, my entrepreneurial clients who sometimes get, they, you know, at least once a week in my sessions, I'll hear one of my entrepreneurial clients say, I'm just so scared it's going to all go away. And that's, you know, that alerts me to the fact that they have gotten confused about who they are and where their, their identity comes from and their value comes from. And so I'll point that out to them. You know, your value does not come from from whether you're successful or not, or how much money you make. Mm-hmm. And, and at the same time, I tell them, but if you want to play this fun, fast, big game, go for it. That's mm-hmm. great. If you want to play this big, big game, go for it. 
just remember it's a game. It says nothing about who you are. It's a game. We love to play games. Go for it, man. Go for your millions if you want. As long as you understand that it's not who you are at your, you know, fundamentally, that it says nothing about your value. They're so lucky to have you coaching them, Carla, because it, it, that's it, isn't it? And then the game can be so much more enjoyable mm-hmm. when you haven't tied your identity to it. You're doing it because it occurs to you to do and because you'll enjoy the journey, the learning, the experiences, good and bad. And there's so much freedom in beginning to see that. And um, yeah, Absolutely. Well, thank you, Juliet. Thank you. You've been listening to the Riffing on Realness podcast with Carla Royal and Juliet Fay. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend. We would truly appreciate it if you'd rate and review this podcast, which will help others find us. You can visit me, Carla, at CarlaRoyal.com. I am a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving, high-performance entrepreneurs and business owners who are quietly dealing with too much mental chatter and anxiety. Juliet loves freedom of mind, which she explores and shares through poetry and conversations. Find her at soulcare.org. That's soulcare, S-O-L-C-A-R-E.org. We'll see you next time on Riffing on Realness. (laughs) 